0: This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. Why is it amazing? Because in just three weeks, I think four weeks, Baruch Hashem, since he's he's been here for all my shiurim, putting it on the internet, people have come to me and say, you know, it's very nice to listen to you on the telephone. It's great, but we can see you live. It's like unbelievable. One person said to me, I have to tell you that, you know, I like your shiurim, but I listened to them once. But when you're live, I listen to him. Tw- I watch it once, twice, three times. I said, "No, you have no, you have no life." I mean, <laughs> but, but um, so, so this is an unbelievable thing. And uh, I myself, you know, it's hard to, to listen to yourself to watch yourself. But I i don't know if you've been watching that since he started, I've been wearing nice toys. And, you know, on the call Lush and you don't hear what, you don't see what I'm wearing. And so I'm shaving and I'm, I look a little, you know, different. So my wife thanks you very much. My wife thanks you very much. Anyway, it's a big thing. And you can go online. And if you're on the Internet already and you're thinking of Hashem going the wrong way, you just tore it time, you hit it, and you're saved. Unbelievable. Baruch Hashem. Okay. So he deserves a big Yishkach. They really do. And, and if you can help, if you can help them, whatever financially, whatever he needs, you know, you should help him. And I was thinking to myself, he he told me that, um, that they play my share of Shabbos in Queens. And 500 people, 300 people show up. So I'm like, from that one, I'm just going to give my share at home, give it to him, put a big screen here, you guys will come watch. Like, hello, what's going on over here? I'm better on screen than I am live. Okay. Anyway, this week's Pasha, Pasha's Akev. Bahaya Akev Tishwun. Now, akev the word akev is whoever knows of red, is your heel, right? Akev is your heel. Now, I don't know if anyone in this room ever had heel spurs, but I used to play ball in the old days, and I was a little overweight, and when you play basketball, and you're a little overweight, you get these, what they're called, heel spurs, which is, an, is, is like a lot of pain in your heel, and then you wear a, a little cup in your sneaker, and when until two of those go away, you cannot walk. You cannot walk. Now nobody in this room gives any respect to his heels. Right? We don't, we don't take care of our heels. Right? Because you don't even know you have a heel. You only know you have a heel when you have a heel spur. So the heel is really, if you didn't have a heel, you wouldn't be able to stand. If you cut off your heel, you wouldn't be able to stand. The heel is one of the most important parts of your feet. Hashem created it. It's very thick. It doesn't have much nerves in it. It's, 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 it's very strong. But it's something that's totally taken for granted. Until something in your heel goes wrong. And this parsha, the beginning of is akev, it's called akev, the heel. That's not a nice name for a parsha, right? What's the name of the parsha this week? The heel. So, what, what, what is this, what is the Torah telling us? I and mean, the Torah is telling us, if you are going to listen to the mitzvahs that are like your heel, in other words, the mitzvahs that as Rashi says, the easy mitzvahs, sha'adam dosh that the man steps on the cave of with his heel. In other words, the Torah is telling us that there are mitzvahs in the Torah that we treat without any respect whatsoever. We take them for granted. And those are very important mitzvahs. And only when you don't do those mitzvahs does that totally destroy what's going on in your neshama because that's the heel, that's what's holding up the rest of the rest of you. So the Torah tells us, if you're going to listen to the small mitzvahs, you're going to watch them and keep them, then the Hashem says, and God will watch for you the agreement He made and the kindness that he, that he promised your forefathers. What is that? I will love you and I will bless you. And I will multiply you. And you're going to have, your, your children are going to be gebenched. Not only that you're going to have a lot of children, but good children, blessed children. And you're going to have many fruits, the It's all different grains and, and, and different things that grow. No, you' and your sheep are going to multiply. Right? you're going to be blessed from all the other nations. There'll be no people in the nation that don't have children. Your animals will also have children., and God's going to take away cancer. And every other terrible disease Hashem is going to take away. And everything I did to the mitzvahim, all those plagues, I'm not going to do to you. Not only am I not going to do it to you, but I'm going to give it to all your enemies. right? Well, And you're going to eat up all the other nations. In other words, you're going to be very, very successful. For what? For keeping the mitzvahs that you step on. Forget about the other mitzvahs, the mitzvahs that we take for granted that we step on. So what's so important about the stuff that we step on? And, and, you know, I always talk about the mitzvah of tzitzes. That's a mitzvah we step on because I don't understand when I meet a guy and he's not wearing tzitzes. Tzitzes, you put on a head, you got some strings, you don't want to wear them out, don't wear them out, wear them in. If you you don't want to wear them out for whatever reason, you're wearing them a whole day and every second you're getting a mitzvah. You're going to come up to the next world, and you're going to see the value of a mitzvah, and you're going to think you're absolutely out of your mind. The easiest mitzvah probably in the whole world is wearing tzitzis. What's easier? Yamaka is a minig. It's not even a mitzvah. I don't know the, the mitzvah of wearing a yarmulke. You can wear a baseball cap. It's not a mitzvah of wearing a yarmulke, but tzitzis is a mitzvah de'araisa. It's a mitzvah of the Torah. And every second you get a mitzvah. How, how long can you wear your tefillin during the day? An hour. If, we, if we're lucky, we wear our twillin for an hour. Tzitzis you can wear it ten hours, twelve hours, and every second that you're wearing, we have a mitzvah. Guys, don't wear sits, oh, it's the summer, then it's the winter, then it's this, it's itchy. Mishagam, these are the easiest, crazy, you gotta be crazy not to do this mitzvah. All the hard mitzvahs you do. This mitzvah is easy, it, right? No. Shortness, the mitzvah of checking your suit to make sure it's not linen and wool together. To not to use a razor, to make sure you use a shaver. What's the big deal? They're using a shaver instead of a razor. The shavers today, clo- they shave very close. There are so many mitzvahs that people go, "Eh, what's the difference? A razor, God cares, I'm using a razor, a shaver. What's the difference? I wear tits, I don't wear tzitzvah. That's not the big one. The big one is Shabbos. And it's wrong. The mitzvahs that are very small, the of the heel. So, why, and it's a psychology, and I'll explain to you what the whole psychology, why this week's parasha is talking, that it's so important to worry about the things that seem very small. Because things that are small we get very used to. Things that we get used to, when you get used to something, you get a little bit numb, right? And you don't take it, you don't realize it. So, it says following. It says, in the Gemara, it says like this. It says, Shleisha Avois. There were three forefathers, right? Abraham Yitzchak and Yaakov. Ein no matter how, Moshe Rabbeinu, and Aaron, and Doberam Melech, and the biggest Sadikim, you can't call them Avois. The only one you're allowed to call Avais, our forefathers, our fathers, is Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. Now, let's start. With, tonight we're going to talk about Avram. So Avraham Avinu, I just want to show you how small things, and then we'll talk a little bit about who this weekend. Wow, I got a little story to tell you. But we'll, we'll first talk about Avraham Avinu. So Avram Avinu, right, Avram, our forefather. Let's take a look at how he became who he is. So it says the following. He was called Avram Ivri. That's what he was called, Avram Ivri. What does the word Ivri mean? Ivri means on the other side, Avra on the other side of the Jordan. He was called the, the, the Avram from the other side, the Avram the Cider. We'll call him with an S, not a C. Avram the Cider, right? What does that mean? The Medrash explains why was Avram called the Ivri? because the whole world was on one side. They believed in idolatry. They believed in Avodah Zarah. Avram Avinu. Was on the opposite side, totally against the whole world, all by himself, who believed in the, in, in, in one mono in one God. There's only one God who created the world. So he was called Avraham Ivri, Avraham, the guy who's on the other side, the wacko, the crazy man, the Meshugana, the weirdo, the Kanoi, whatever you want to call him, right? Because he was against the whole world. And some of us sometimes feel that way And what we're doing. Everyone says, Wait, you're crazy. What's wrong with you, your friend? You know what? There's nothing wrong with this. You know what happened? You went to a She'er. You know? You feel like." You're Maisha HaIvri, like everyone's on one side of the world, and you're on the other side of the world. Well, there was someone called Avram HaIvri. Where did he get the strength to be on the other side of the world? The whole world's saying that adultery is true, and he's saying that there's only one God. How did this happen? So there's a Nairudhika Medrash, and the Medrash says the following. The Medrash says that how did Avram end up on one side? And he says that... There was a man who left civilization. And he ended up in the desert. And there was no civilization there. And he's walking in the desert after a few days. There's nothing there. There's sand dunes and scorpions and his camel. Him and his camel. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the desert, there's what the Medrash calls it the birah. Bira is a palace, a castle. In the middle of the desert, said the Medrash, he sees a castle lit up. All the windows are lit up. The whole castle is lit up. The most gorgeous castle. Now, castle, palace. Beautiful palace. Palace, right. Like in Iran. The king's palace. The Shah of Iran's palace. Beautiful in the middle of the desert. Now, it's very important. There are two kinds of people in the world. Two kinds of people. One person says, Whoa, what a palace! Let me get my, 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 my cell phone camera Let's get this side, that side, this side. Oh, I'm going to come home. I'm going to show them what I found, a palace. That's one guy. The other guy says, as the Medrash says, beautiful Medrash, Mi bal Habira. Who is the architect? Who is the owner of this palace? Not interested in taking a picture of it. Who built this in the middle of the desert? Who's the owner? Two different kinds of people millions and millions of people go to the Grand Canyon every year. Millions and millions of people go to Niagara Falls. Now, when I went to Niagara Falls the first time in my life, right, I said there cannot be any atheists in the world. Anyone who doesn't believe in God, take them on a bus, bring them to Niagara Falls. Look at that raging, river was there, the power is so enormous and so crazy, right? How could you not believe in God? Meanwhile, there's a sign right there. And what does the sign say? Please do not throw bottles into the falls. Who in their right crazy mind is going to take his can of Coca-Cola when he finishes it and flip it into this most beautiful, into Niagara Falls? There's a big sign. No loitering No littering. Who is thinking at this point when you're in the most awesome place in the, one of the most awesome places in the whole world, okay, kids, you got your empty cans? Throw it into the falls. People who, when they're looking at the falls, take a picture, like the guy in the castle in the desert, look at the picture and say, wow, I'm going to bring the picture home. What does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with with the world? What does that have to do with God? What does it have to do with anything? It's a picture. The falls is a picture. Okay, we'll make sure. Maybe we'll take a picture while the can is flying in the air. It's cute. A can of Coke in the picture behind it, the falls. We'll send it to Coca-Cola. It'll be a great advertisement. Look at the power of Coke, right? Crazy people, right? We can do crazy things. But the guy who has any insight is going to stand there and going to say, oh, my God, who created this? Does my comment, my what was awesome to me is, we know the world is 5,767 years old. They say that the world is millions of years old. I'm just in awe that this thing don't turn off, that it's going for and and seven hundred and, and uh, sixty-seven years, that it continuously flows at that speed. I was just standing there and I said, Baruchu. wow, who is the creator of Niagara Falls? Who is the architect? has to be a god! I'm going to take a can of Coke and throw it to God's Niagara Falls. I need a sign that looks stupid. I shouldn't litter, throw my bag of potato chips into the falls. But you see the Michigan people, right? Kids throwing things into the falls. Ooh, let's see what happens, right? Crazy people, because they look at it and they don't see that there's a God behind it. They look at it; it's a picture, and that's not the only thing. I mean, anywhere you go, you go to the Rockies. Right, you go you go to the rock, you go to the Swiss Alps, you look at the Alps in the winter, you stand there, right? These people, they 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 ski on it, they don't see Hashem, they ski on it, they they look at it and they see a good slope. Powder, no powder, fast today, slow today, right? That's what they see. The skier just sees skiing. The 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 tourist, when he looks at Niagara Falls, sees pictures the chacham the smart person he sees Hashem in everything the smart person says I'm not on this world very, I'm giving, the khabura I'm giving tonight is, is a basic but a very deep khabura. the person has to know we have to know that we're not tourists in this world Hashem didn't put any of the guys in this room in this world to take pictures of His world He could have left you in Shemayim and just put up a 42-inch screen and showed you pictures of the world. want to see a cow? Cow. You know? Could have given you a, a, what's it called, a a computer and you would have sat there. Ooh, what does a cow look like? Cow. What does Niagara Falls look like? Niagara Falls. He didn't have to put us all here that we have to eat and we have to work and we have to go to the bathroom and we have pains and we we have to die and we have to be born and go through all this to be a tourist, to take pictures or an amusement park to have fun. He put us in this world and he created this bira, this palace with this beautiful light for us to be the one that stands outside the palace and says, who's the architect of this palace? Who built it? That's the whole reason you're here, guys. Is to find Hashem through every little thing that he created in the world. Instead, what are we here for? Half of us are tourists. Right? When you die, you come up to the next world, and you bring your box of pictures. Look what look how when I was little. Look how when I was five. Look how when I went to Israel I took pictures. Look when I went to Florida. Look at the pictures of my grandchildren. Look at the pictures. Oh! A tourist! You went through the life? Yeah! You have 200 million albums! 400 million pictures, digital smidgen of this. My cousin, my uncle, look at us in Israel at the Dead Sea. Look at me in Colorado. Look at me in my bathing suit on the islands. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Come to the next world. What would you do? I took pictures. That's why I sent you down to the world to take pictures. You missed You missed the picture, baby. You missed the whole picture. (laughs) You missed the whole scene. Then there are clowns. Those are the guys that are even worse than the guys that take pictures. They come to the world, and they want to have a good time. So we'll throw a can of Coke into the falls. Yeah, why not? And we'll throw our potato chips into the falls. And when we're in Colorado, and when it says, don't litter, don't that, we'll leave all our, our garbage bags from our food. We'll leave here, we'll leave there. I, I, never, I never needed to be told not to litter. I have to stick my gum on my, on my, head, on my dashboard. Because I won't throw a piece of gum out of my window. Why don't I throw out a piece of gum? Because it says littering $50. Those signs aren't even up in New York. They stole them and they put them in their houses. You're not going to find the sign in anywhere in New York where it says do not litter. They're gone. They're in all the guys' houses. Oh, isn't that a funny? Look in my room. It says do not litter. Okay, great. Right? So, so why don't I litter? Because this is Hashem's world. What am I, crazy? What is this? This is Hashem's world. He created me to find him. You think by throwing a piece of gum on his floor, I'm going to find that Kurdish Baruch. It's his world. I'm not here. I'm not here to have, it's not, so everything he created is for me to find that Kurdish Baruch. What happens is we get used to where we are. We get used to where we are and nothing has any more meaning and, and that's it. We become tourists, a picture here, a picture there, and we don't even become tourists. Avram Avinu asked the question. Why was he on one side of the world? Where was everybody else? You think he was the smartest guy in the world? He wasn't the smartest guy in the world. But he said, what? Who built this? So, the measure says, if you came upon a castle, if you came upon a castle in the middle of the desert, what would the smart man ask? Who built this? Why did he build it? It's in the middle of the desert. Why didn't he build it where, where people live? Must be a reason he built it here. Who is he, right? So, the smart man stands by the door and screams, who's in there? Who's the builder? Who's the owner? I want to meet the master. The other guy takes his picture and he leaves. So, he says, Rabbi Freifeld, on this medrash, he says, so what the medrash said is that the rest of the world, the rest of the world looked at the whole world, the molecules, the sun, the moon, right? The sun, the moon, the clouds, crazy world we live in, water, temperatures, wind, million different things. If anyone was in the mountains this, this past Shabbos, thunder and lightning, my whole house shook. And my kids were scared and I said, Nobody since the beginning of the world ever got hurt by thunder. Never thought of that, right? What scares you more than lightning? Thunder. Boom! It was... Ah! Thunder never hurt anybody. Thunder can't hurt anybody. Nobody ever got hurt by thunder. Only by lightning. And by the time you hear the thunder, if you get hit by lightning, you don't even know it. All right? So so if you heard the thunder, you're good. You're good. You got nothing to worry about until the next lightning. So I told my kids, there's nothing to worry about. So why does Hashem give thunder? So it says, it says why Hashem give thunder. To wake you up to his power. Right? Oh, thunder, uh, warm front, cold front, mixed that uh, depression, uh, You got that weather guy, you are the smart guy. Cold front, run front, run. So why did you sit there when you're watching TV and, you know, the weather man's on? Well, the cold front would be the big one, so we expect some crazy thunderstorms and land, and land it say, why? Why is there a cold front, warm front? Why does not Hashem do that? What's up? You know, and everyone's sitting there watching, oh darling, it's, uh, you know, we expect some big storms tonight, you know? Hello? So those are the whole other people in the whole other world. They're sitting there. Oh, thunderstorm. Okay. So we will take the barbecue in tonight. Instead of saying, why does Hashem make thunderstorms? Why do we need thunderstorms? What's with the noises? They don't do anything anyway. Right? Nothing happens from it. So why is he wasting? What is he trying to... So some people are saying like, thunder puts the fear of God in you, man. God's showing his power and the takah it brings down. That's what thunder is. Thunder is to show Akash power. And lightning is to show just an example that it says that in Shemayim the malachim there are certain malachim made out of lightning. So as human beings you just see one flash of lightning you're already going crazy just to understand the power in the next world. But you got to ask. If you don't ask you're not going to get an answer. It says the medrash Aramavinu, came to the castle and said who are you? Who built this beautiful castle? And therefore, says the Medrash, HaKadosh Baruch Hu answered. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, If you're asking, I will tell you that I am the master, I am the master of this castle. And once HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him that, once HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him that there was a relationship. But, I, but nobody asked till that. Nobody was interested till that. Now what happened, what was different, from him and the, and, the, and the whole world, is, I'm going to use English words here, and a little Hebrew. Chachma is knowledge. There's a thing called knowledge, and there's a thing called understanding. What's the difference between knowledge and understanding? Everyone knew, Avraham Avinu had a very good taina. He said like this. He said, guys, you have an avoided Zara, an idol? Right? And this lady bought the idol, for her son, because he wasn't strong. So she bought the idol of strength. What they used to sell, they were smart. Whether they sold one idol that did all? Idol for strength, idol for beauty, idol for whatever, whatever it was, for brilliance, an idol for this, an idol for that. and Avron Avinu had the store. He was the guy selling the 52-inch televisions. He, he, he had the store. Right? Now, this is the kid who has the store. Lady walks in, says, I want to buy for my son the idol of strength, says the medrash. Ramavinu says, listen, lady, you're an old lady. You should be smarter than that. If this was an idol of strength, he would be able to move. He said, Let me show you. And he took a little pebble and he said, Idol of strength, pick up this pebble. And the idol didn't move. And he said to the lady, You see, he can't even pick up a pebble. Why would you waste your money on the idol on this idol of strength? So what do you think? She said, You're right, goodbye, have a good day. She bought it. So she was dumber than this little kid? No. She had the knowledge. It's a very important point here. She had the knowledge that the idol had no strength, but she didn't understand. She didn't have the understanding. In other words, I'm going to tell everyone here tonight, get rid of your televisions. Get rid of them. They're stupid. They're a waste of time. And you're going to say, yeah, give me a logical explanation. I'm going to say to you, listen, you sit in front of this television, you're watching a sitcom, Right? It's already written. You can't change it. You, can't, you have no input. You have no input into the sitcom. You can't change anything that's going to go on. If you talk to the television, it will not talk back to you. So there's no give and take. You're just going to sit there like a stupid, your dog that's watching it, right? He's watching it. He has the same input as you do. Your goldfish. He has the same input as you do. You're not a goldfish, right? And I'm going to explain to you that the whole thing is a waste of time. You're wasting four hours of your time because when you turn it, you didn't become any smarter. You you, you chilled and you killed time. So that that's not smart. Any logical person to tell you. You don't know when you're going to die. You don't know how long you're here. So use your time, you know, constructively. And no matter how I'm going to explain it to you and you're going to walk out and say, Rebbe, it makes sense what you said. You can go home and turn on your TV. How could that be? How could you, if you have the knowledge, you have the knowledge that the TV is no good, it's a waste of time, it doesn't talk back to me, I have no input. Sports. Okay? I mean, I I play ball too. And I used to watch the Yankees also. And I'm a Yankee fan since I'm a little kid, and a Ranger fan, and a Knicks fan. And there's nothing wrong with being a little bit of a fan. It's a good pastime. But when it becomes an Avoy zara, right? When it becomes, you know, every single player's average, his mother's average, and his father's average. You know, when the guy was born... And you know everything about him, how much he weighs, what sneakers he wears. And and it's like, whoa! And you have that look on your face like, whoa! I can't believe it! I saw him on the city on 49th Street. Oh my God, it was Derek Jeter! Oh! Right? So that became an avoid desire. Because, hold on a second. Derek Jeter, if I needed $10, would you give it to me? If, if I was sick in the hospital, would you visit me? Do you know who I am? Do you know anything about me? Do you care about me and the answer is no but the same kid who's freaking out that Derek Cheetah was on 49th street and he saw him and, and, and maybe he looked at him and oh my god right his father and mother who's there for him every day who feed him clothe him pay all his bills take care of him will sit by him in the hospital will cry over him at night garnished nothing you never heard a kid say I saw my father today Wow! Therapy now, baby. Like, <laughs> what's wrong with him, right? We don't get excited. I so saw my mother and father. Terry Jeter, or some model from the movies, or some actor. Shh. And if if the writer of Harry Potter would show up, if she would show up, forget about it, would be two million people following her, right? Why? Why does she care about you? Does she know about you? Is there any, any relationship whatsoever? No. So there's many things that we have in our in our knowledge, but we don't bring that knowledge into our understanding. And I really think after all the shiurim, I'm seven eight years giving this chabura, I feel that I threw out a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of guys having a lot of knowledge, but I don't know how many of us take that knowledge. He's entertaining, good story, good this. To take that knowledge and make it into an understanding. Once it became an understanding, by Abraham Avinu, there could be no more Avodah Zarah. Once he understood that there's a Creator, there was no discussion anymore. The difference between the whole world is they all had the knowledge; they knew that an idol can't move, an idol can't do anything. They had that knowledge, but they didn't want to understand that. They wanted the fast way. God, you got to find, you got to pray, you got to do mitzvot, you got to put on tefillin. I want to take the fast pill. I want to take the fast pill. Take the fast pill. i fight the Zohar. you don't got to do nothing. Put a little, you know, incense in front of it, and have a nice day." Being a Jew and 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 being a, and, and serving Hakadosh Baruch Hu, it's work. You don't want to do work. So Avraham Avinu, when he said to Hashem, "Who are you? What are you? What's going on? Why did you create this world?" When Hakadosh Baruch Hu said, "I am the creator of the world," he said, "I understand that, and I feel that, and now we're one." And that's why Avraham Avinu was the always was the first father. He became with his knowledge and his understanding, he became one. We don't do that. There are so many things that we see in life that we, that, that we understand. We don't, but we don't make it, we don't make it an understanding. Every single person in this room has an IQ above 20. Okay, above 20. So every one of us knows that there's a creator in this world. We're not stupid. We look at this world, we know the sun comes up, it hasn't missed. That stupid sun has not missed coming up. For 5,000 years, the sun comes up every morning. Never makes a mistake, it comes up at night. Once in a while, is an eclipse, whatever. But that's not a mistake. Never comes up at night. The moon, on the 30th day, is the same size. Every month, every year, since the begin- beginning of creation. Just look how a child is born, how a child is created. So the, why isn't the whole world saying, Hashem, there are people that are much smarter than we are. Scientists and doctors, and they're atheists. How could that be? And the answer is that they take the knowledge, but they don't make it into an understanding. So what's knowledge? Niagara Falls is a is is billion, uh, you know, I don't even have the knowledge. They have the knowledge. A billion barrels every three seconds, pressure of 9,000 miles an hour, faster than this, right? There's people that have that crazy knowledge. Are they religious Jews? Are they getting up every morning saying... Oh my God, they're probably atheists. They're probably atheists. You know why? Because they're just tourists. So many of us in this world, we're just tourists. Take a picture. Take a picture. Ooh, yeah. Oh, I saw my daughter get born. Psh, pictures of the kid all famushed and Smitch, And that's what you pick up. Instead of jumping around and saying, I saw Bria. I saw creation today. I saw this thing that wasn't alive, that, 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 that you can never fit back in the womb because it's so big. And Hashem folded it up in such a way that it's all squished in there and it's still alive nine months without air. Nine months without air, squished into this little thing that you cannot put the baby back in. We cannot fold that baby and get it back into the womb. You know, that's a fact. That's right. You can't fold and get it back into the womb. So, here I am and I see Bria. Right? I'm there. They take the baby out. They hand it to me. And the thing's blue. It's dead. Right? And then all of a sudden, one breath, it becomes peachy and pink and you... Your mama should see life. And what does the father do? He runs out, and does he stand and say, God, I just found you. Who's the owner? Who's the architect? Who's the creator of this child? I didn't say that. I was like, give me a camera, fast, fast. i got to get a picture. Tourist, Meshugana, what are you doing? That's why Hashem brings a baby in the world. He's going to hatch kids like an egg, like a chicken. Why does he bring him in nine months? It's to see his creation. Oh, pictures and that picture the first picture of that kid you don't want to show anyone anyway (laughs) look how beautiful everyone's like oh my god (laughs) right but no you have to show so so what what I'm trying to say here my point tonight is akev the little things in life the little things in life that are the heel not the big yeah the big sometimes we see Hashem in the you know somebody was very sick and all of a sudden a miracle a car flipped over and four guys walked out alive oh Hashem, thank you Hashem and we don't realize that the akev, the little things about opening your eyes in the morning and seeing that Rabbi Hashem Shepikis always says that the eyeball there's a million impulses going to the eye every split second right And it's amazing that the doctors you know the scientists know this and they don't see Hashem in it because it's an eyeball it's an eyeball that's it we have a picture of an eyeball and all the information museum walking through a museum people have the, the spectators the world that we live in Museum, let's go to, to, to the Alaska. Let's go here. Let's go there. Okay, this museum wall babies born. This museum wall is medicine. This museum wall is architecture. World Trade Center, all these things are you go over the George Washington Bridge. Hello, look at the George Washington Bridge. Look at that steel, millions of cars going over it for how many years, and the thing is still standing there in the water. Cool bridge. Kesh gave the human being the ability to build a bridge. Crazy! Look at a bridge! Look at the Verrazano Bridge! So, ooh, the biggest bridge, Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, everybody takes pictures of. That's a postcard. Instead of saying, oh, there's a pillar here, and then three miles later, another pillar, and a gave us the Das in physics, that if you have it there, and it's on such a slope, that all this metal and trucks and cars can ride over it and it doesn't cave in. Does anyone even think when they go over the George Washington Bridge, what Hashem created? Nothing. Why? Because that's the achef, that's the heel, that's the thing that we're all used to. And when you get used to something, you don't ask who I who created this, who came up with this. Says the Torah, focus says Rashi on the things that are the heel, the things that you're used to. Sure, if there's a big wonder, unbelievable thing, oh, there's God. But that's not where you're supposed to find God. That's not where Avraham Avinu found God. Avraham said, this world is a palace. What goes on in this world to make sure that the world runs, you know, the temperature and the climates and the Gulf Stream and this stream and that stream and, 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 and what's called, and the air and the pressure and the oxygen, carbon dioxide, plants give carbon dioxide, or, or they give oxygen, we give carbon dioxide, we're feeding them, they're feeding us, photosynthesis, you know, who doesn't know about photosynthesis here, right? We all know that, right? It rains, it goes up, the humidity makes clouds, the water, the ocean. Does anyone ever ask, well, who set this up? Who set this up? No. Who set up the butterfly? Who set up the... You know, there were frogs jumping all over. It was raining like crazy. The There were frogs jumping all over. So the kids were having a crazy time catching frogs. So I said to one kid, a little kid, I said, You know anything about the frog? He goes, No. I said, Who created the frog? Hashem. I said, Did you ever hear about frogs before? He goes... No, I said. Didn't you learn in Chumash about Tzvardeya, about frogs? He goes, yeah. I said, do you know that there were frogs that jumped into the oven? And the kid was like, like what? And he, you know, I had him like for a half an hour. Talk about the silly little frog. The poor kid. He was he wanted to go run after frogs, but <laughs> I got a hold of him. <laughs> and I said to myself, a little frog. Well, Tyron talks about the frog, the acre. You get used to it. A little lice. Why does who use these things? Hashem said, I control the lice. Not because you have dirty hair. I control the lice. I control the frogs. I control the water. Look at the Ten Commands. I control darkness. I control death. I control boils on a person's hand. I control everything. It's all me. So when he made it a maka, ooh, you know about Tzradayah, the Maka. Hashem brought the Maka, of But how many kids know that that Hashem created that frog? How many kids, they all know it. The knowledge is there. But the understanding... Wow, look at that frog. Look how it jumps. Why did Hashem make that one jump and that one crawl? And that one fly and that one swim? How many guys in this room ever asked that question? How come this flies? This little guy jumps? Why does the frog jump? Why didn't you give him four legs and let him crawl? Why does the butterfly fly and the ant crawl? Nobody asks. These are the eight kids. So the says, Ask! Who is the architect? And if you ask who is the architect, then I'll give you all the rewards in the world. Because then we're gonna get connected. Because you know what? Once you ask, you come to my house, and you, and you stand outside and you take pictures of my house, listen carefully to what I'm telling you. This is very deep. If someone is outside my house and he's taking pictures of my house, I don't invite him in. You want pictures of my house? Take pictures of my house? Get out of here. Go home, you know? You wanna show flatbush houses? Enjoy yourself. Knock yourself out. But if someone comes to my door, and he rings the bell, and he says, what a beautiful house. I would like to meet the owner of this house. Well, of course I'm going to come running down the steps and open the door for him. If you want to meet the owner of the house, you think it's a beautiful house, come inside. And why did you build this house, Trevor Wallerstein? And who was the architect? And how much did it cost? And did you do it all yourself? And there's a million questions, and you think I'm going to throw them out and say, none of your business! His first question is, Who's the master of the house? I'm going to tell you everything about my house. Says the Medrash, that the person who comes to Hashem, such a beautiful share of it. The person who comes to Hashem and says, who's the master of this world? Why did you make frogs jump Hashem? Who built this world? HaKash Baruch is going to invite you into the house. He's going to invite you into his house and he's going to explain to you all the secrets of the Torah that you want to know the ekev the small question the little question opens the door the heel is the bottom of your whole body it opens the door to the rest of your body because you can't stand without it and therefore if you ask the questions and you look at what Hashem creates and you say who's the master? why? because Bochum will take you into his house if you're just going to take pictures and go through life that's cool Lake Tahoe is great Alaska is fantastic this guy I went to the Yankee game this guy has a 300 you know, batting order which is like Probably baseball is the worst thing that you could teach a child. Because it's the only thing in the world that if you hit one out of three, right, you're in the Hall of Fame. What does that teach everyone? Not only that perfection, you're one out of three. You're one out of three, you're a Hall of Famer. You're batting 333. That's a very good moral to teach kids. Okay, I only got to hit one. I hit one, the other two don't matter. Right? But it's baseball. But even baseball, if you stand there and watch baseball and you ever see a pitcher pitch... At 99 miles an hour, just think about this for a second. I'm sorry that I'm making him crazy with the camera, but just think about this for all all us athletes. 99 or 101 miles an hour. I don't know if any of you guys ever drove your car, and don't don't you're on tape, so don't admit it because we'll have a bunch of cops in here. But but if you ever drove your car at 101 miles an hour, put your hand out the window, and feel the pressure of that wind. Okay. You had split seconds at 101 miles an hour, right? This ball is coming at you at 101 miles an hour, moving. If the pitcher's is any good, moving in many different directions, dropping, curving, right? A human being is standing there with a little stick. Okay, a human being is standing there with a little stick. He's a human being. He's not. A, he's not a machine. He has to swing that bat so fast to hit that ball at the correct second to get it to be a fair ball. And you got guys out there all day long smacking those balls over a fence. Which means that his body, his eye, that's watching this ball come at him from how many feet away? How many feet is it? I don't know. 16 feet. What? 60 feet at 100 miles an hour. You do the math. You have a second to make a decision? Maybe. His eye, this human eye that Hashem created, has to calculate where the ball is Send the message to the brain. In turn, the brain has to send the message to his hands and to all the muscles in his shoulders and his arms. How fast to swing? At what angle? How high and how low? And bang, he smacks the ball out. And you're all up. He's a good hitter. He's a good hitter. God, how did you pull that off? that in one second a human being's eye can tell its brain and its arms and its muscles, and he can swing the bat, connect with it, and hit a single and a double and a triple. A stupid baseball game. Who's the master of the baseball game? Who is the master of the baseball game? But we don't think that way because we get used to everything. So we don't think about who's the master. And if you don't think about who's the master, then you're talking seeing the Yankee and taking a picture. You come up to Shemayim, and what you do? You went to a Yankee game. You have a picture of your nettle this guy and that guy, and I had some beer and a pretzel and some peanuts. And I burped three times and four times, and that was it. And it was unbelievable. I had a great seat. Meanwhile, you could go to a baseball game and walk out and say, "Kris Bokel, you are a man. I, I, I can't believe they could touch that ball, 100 miles an hour. One second, eye, ear, hair, hair, arms, legs. You know, all the muscles are in it." No, you think what a human body. Who's the master of this body? Who's the master of this castle? I want to know more. Okay, come, learn. Start to learn who the master is. You have a lot of svarm, a lot of things. Come to learn who the master is. And the more you learn about who the master is, the more the master gives you his secrets. And the more he reveals you his secrets. You want to take pictures, you're not going to get anything. There's a famous story. I'll end with the story. Before I say the story, I just want to tell you that this month of Shabbos, whatever. I'm not going to get into it. Um, but it was we were in Monticello of course I'm going to get into it and <laughs> <laughs> we are in Monticello there's a pool hall and uh, a terrible place and a lot of the Jewish kids go there and it's not a good scene I was there two weeks ago and drunk and pot you know, a, lot of, a lot of bad stuff and we decided this week that um, we went to Rev. David Feinstein and we got a sock. That, not you know, you don't make a rest. It's not the Jewish way. But we should take Jewish couples, right, and take a 100 couples and go down there and just stand there. And when the kids see you, they know this one, they know that one, this one. They're going to take off. They're not going to stand there and do things they're not supposed to do in front of people that they know. So just bring couples from all over the mountains, and uh, and they're going to take off. So we did that. And, of course, the guy got very upset while in the pool hall, and he threw some of the rabbis out physically and uh, he had his Goyesha bouncers there. It was, it was a bad scene. It was a bad scene. And of course, I went nuts, and I started screaming at all the guys there. I said, you see what happens when you do Averis, and you do pot and girls and all this stuff? You just watch three rabbis get beat up and thrown out, and you didn't say one word. You see what it's turning into? You watch three Mexican bouncers beat up on your rabbis, and you didn't say one word. I was screaming like a wild man. I was like, you see what happens from this? You think it's just girls, and it's just drugs, and it's just this. In the end, your own rabbis can get beat up in front of you, and you don't defend them. And I was, of course, crazy. I was out of it, right? Anyway, so the police come. Oh, they all come flying in. Of course, they protect the guy who owns the pool hall um, because he's trespassing and he's a Monticello guy and we're not Monticello guy, right? Okay, whatever it is. Anyway, the police turns to me and he says to me, why are you here? Is one of your kids in there? I'll, you know, if that's what the whole thing's about, that one of your children are there, I'll get your kid out and go home. I said, no, no, my kids, my kids are not here. He says, so why are you here? I said, well, in Judaism, all the kids are our kids. We're one nation and it doesn't have to be my kids. You see, all these kids are like my kids. The guy looked at me like I was from Mars. What are you talking about? If it's not your kid, what do you care? Such a different psychology than our nation has. He could not understand. He said, all you couples that are here... Have, you don't have any kids here in this party? I said, no. I "I don't understand. What are you doing here? Get out of here. Why would you be here? If my kid's not here, why would I be here? He he could not understand that every Jew cares about the next Jew. I could not sell it to him. There's just, there was no understanding. There's no understanding. So I walked away from that and I said, ah, Baruch Hashem. We're still okay. We still care about each other. But I gotta tell you two other, two other things that happened. The Friday before the Monday before Monday Shabbos, so I met a bunch of girls. Whatever it was, not, they're not in a good place. And they were in this, they were renting the shanty. Don't uh, forget it, right? Guys, girls, whatever. It wasn't good. Anyway, I walked in there. It was not a good scene. I tried to get them to come to my house for Shabbos, and I'm talking to them, and it's just not a good scene. You know, whiskey, this. That's just a bad scene. So they're they're angry, they're angry teenagers. They're angry at God. They're angry at everything. They're angry at everybody. So I was there with Ezra Max, and I said, "Listen, guys." I'll tell you what, Sunday, we'll come by at 2 o'clock, right? And we'll have a rap session. Nobody ever talked to you about what you're angry about. Girls, guys, everybody will sit in there, even though uh, there's like there's secondhand smoking and there's secondhand pot smoking, you know? I tell you, by the time I walk out there, I'm going to be so high that you guys, right? But okay, you know, what you got to do for Judaism, you got to do. If you got to do it, you got to do, you know? So I said, okay, the two of us, we're going to go in there and we're going to have a rap session in this shanty, this... Broken down, whatever it was, right? In the midst of an, of a, of a Mexican, it was like a, a, a Mexican bungalow colony, or no Jews, only them, in this little teeny half a house, right? And I'm gonna go in Ezra Max, we're gonna sit down, the girls are gonna scream, God this, and rabbis that, my parents this, we were used to this, right? We're gonna have a great rap session. Okay. Meanwhile, so we met up two o'clock Sunday, me and Max were gonna go in there, into the trenches, we're going in, right? Fine. So, you know, you have to go in the trenches. you got to have your gas mask on. You know, we had those from Israel. You know, we can handle all that smoke. Okay, fine. So we go. So, fine. We're all excited. Meanwhile, Saturday night, the whole thing went down. And a bunch of these kids, a bunch of kids, whatever, ended up in this bungalow colony. And there were like 25 cars driving in the middle of the night. The Mexicans were not happy about this. They called the landlord. The landlord came down like 530 in the morning and closed the house down, threw all the kids out. And they were all scurrying from all over the place. This one went to Lakewood. That one went to Muncie. They had no place to sleep. They closed the house down. Right? Okay, great. Baruch Hashem. Right? The Mexicans, we didn't do it. The Mexicans closed it down. <laughs> the next day, Sunday, right? Now, you would think these kids are upset and they're angry. You know, they're, they're they're all over the place now. We get a phone call. Hi, Rabbi Max. Where are we meeting for the 2 o'clock meeting? Said, what? He says, where are we meeting? You know, you made up. We're going to meet today. So after everything that happened that night, with all the stuff that happened, bottom line is we're supposed to meet. We're supposed to talk about Hashem. we got to talk about Hashem. Who cares what happened last night? I was like in total amazement. Total amazement. There's no nation like Israel. With it all, we got to talk. we got to rap. We're going to meet them this week here in New York, whatever it is. And the third thing, so this house went down, whatever. And the mountains it went down, police did, whole thing. The house went down, closed down, finished, done. Right? This kid comes over to me and says, Rabbi, I got a problem. I gotta get back into the house. I'm thinking his drugs are in the house. Right? His drugs are in the house, his beer's in the house, his rolls or his backpack is in the house. He's like, You gotta get into the house. I said, Why do you gotta get into the house? He goes, My filling are in the house. I said, You took filling into that house? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, yeah, my children are in that house, and I gotta get it. I said, well, they cordoned the whole house off. You can get into big trouble if you go back into that house, because the cops called whatever. Ten minutes later, he was out the back door with his children. We're a crazy nation, but we're a special nation. That's what he was right about. My children in the house. Mikam come, with it all, with everything, with all the problems that we have. We want to talk to you about Hashem. We want our children. You understand? And we all care about each other. That's the bottom line. So I just want to end very fast with a story from the Chavitz Chaim, a famous, very, very famous story about getting used to something and, 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 and not realizing the heel, you know, the importance of the heel. Some of you have heard this, some of you have not. So I'm going to tell it to you very fast. There was this man and he had a large family and every day he used to go out and he, and he used to work selling bread. And then one day, there was no one buying bread anymore because there was some other store that was selling it very cheap and he couldn't make enough money to go home and buy food for his kids so he decided he's committing suicide so he went to the seaport and he wrote his rifle letter I've had it I'm done I'm jumping into the water I'm jumping into the ocean so he comes to the seaport and he's getting himself undressed he's about to jump in the ocean all of a sudden a sailor comes by and says hey man what are you doing he says I'm committing suicide he says why he says because I have no money to feed my family he says you're in luck you're in luck." In an hour from now, I'm going on a boat. And this boat goes once in seven years. Once in seven years. This boat goes out. And it goes to a faraway island. And on that island, it's crazy. The roads are paved with diamonds. This guy's like, what are you smoking, boy? There's no such place in the world that's paved with diamonds. I am jumping. Don't tell me no stupid stories. He says, listen, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? You're going to jump and you're going to kill yourself. If I'm right... You had a chance to make millions. Come on the boat. We'll feed you. Right? It's a long trip. It's three months. It's not the end of the world. And if you get there, and I'm lying, you'll jump in the ocean there. He goes, okay, I like that idea. No problem. He gets onto the boat, and they go to this island. It takes three months. He comes to the island. He gets off the boat. He looks at the floor. He says, oh, my God. He picks up. The roads are paved with Diamonds. He says, I can't believe this. I'm a millionaire. I'm a trillionaire. I'm going to be the richest guy in my country. And he starts taking the diamonds and he fills up his pockets and his shirt pockets, puts a couple in his teeth, a couple in his ears. He's got got diamonds coming out of everywhere. Right? Fine. Okay. He says, when are we going home? Seven years. Seven years. Oh my goodness. Okay. What's he going to do? He says, okay. So for seven years, I'll, I'm a billionaire. I'll live here. I'll enjoy myself. I'll come back in seven years. My wife thinks I'm dead anyway, right? It's not the end of the world. So he comes to the most fancy hotel, right, in, in Manhattan, the biggest hotel in the, in the town. He walks in. I'll take the penthouse and uh, let me see the menu. Just send me up all your good food, all your good drink. I want, you know, Johnny Walker Blue. You know, I want all the best stuff that you got. Send it up to the penthouse. Guy's like, very nice. Very nice, but how are you going to pay? (laughs) I'm going to pay. What a stupid question. Puts his hand in, he says, See this? This should be enough for seven years, this diamond. Guy looks at him and goes, Are you crazy? He says, What are you talking about? Okay, okay, here's two diamonds for the seven years. Guy says, Diamonds? Those are rocks. What are diamonds? He says, Diamonds, you know, they shine, you cut them, you know, they're, they're, they're diamonds. He goes, Not here. Why is a diamond worth anything? Because there's very few of them. Here on our island, there are millions of these rocks. Not worth anything. Sorry, you're on the street tonight. And he says, What? I can't believe it. And he's he, he, beyond. He starts taking the stones, he starts throwing them into the ocean. One after the. you stupid diamonds, you're not worth anything here. I can't believe it. And he starts throwing all the diamonds, takes them all out of his pockets, he's throwing them at whatever it is. A guy walks by and says, Hey, what's up? He says, I came here. And I'm right back where I started from. I have nothing. Where would you come from? He says, I come from the mainland, whatever it is. He says, you know anything about fish? He goes, yeah, I know about fish. I know about, I, had a, I know about bread. He says, well, I want to open a restaurant. You want to be my partner? You could cook the food that you have from the country. You come. We don't have that in this country. It'll be very interesting cuisine. I'm sure we're going to get very busy. Okay. No problem. So this guy opens a restaurant with this other guy and he starts cooking cuisine from where he came in Europe and his favorite thing that he used to make at home that everyone used to go crazy about was matcha's herring. Nice, salty, oily matcha's herring. Now these people never had a herring in their life, right? And they're advertising some crazy food from across the ocean, matcha's herring, right? And they are going crazy in this in this island. They never taste anything like it. They couldn't make them fast enough. Could not make them fast enough. And they started raising the price. Five dollars of matches, ten dollars of matches, twenty dollars of matches. People were coming from all over. He was making matches in wine sauce, matches in white sauce, matches in this oil sauce, matches with pepper, matches with cinnamon, match- He was the matches herring king! And then he opened up, like Burger King, a matches herring restaurant on the other side of the island, on the other side. And they were franchised. And he was the king! Money was coming, money was going. He was living in the penthouse. He was a multimillionaire. They had pigeons, it's because they were so far from everyone, that they send their pigeons. So he so he took a pigeon, he wrote a note, and he, they sent this pigeon to his wife, and he said, that the seven years, I didn't die, I came to this island, I am a zillionaire. I am coming back with enough money for our great-great-grandchildren, you have nothing to worry about. Chavitz Chaim writes the story. You have nothing to worry about, we're going to be so rich, it's going to be unbelievable. And this pigeon flew three months, whatever, he got to the wife, she opened it up, and he said the day of arrival, when he's leaving, when he's arriving and she went to the governor, she said, you got to read this letter, Chaim's coming back, he's a billionaire, he's a trillionaire, it's unbelievable, and we have to make a parade. And they're going to make a parade, they're all going to come out, a big parade with his wife and his children, he's coming home. Nope. So, he's about to leave, and he became a multi-billionaire, right, through herring, so what does he fill his boat up with? Barrels and barrels and barrels of herring. Matches in oil, matches in cinnamon, matches in white sauce, matches in this, matches in that, matches in this. And they fill up the whole boat. And there he, he goes off. He waves to everybody. Sold all his stuff. Put it into matcha's herring. Gets on the boat. Right? Three months. Matcha's herring in the heat. Oh my God. Oh my God. I don't know if you guys have ate matcha's herring. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Anyway, the at Chaim says. The boat comes in. Right? And there's a parade. The mayor. Chaim's coming home. Billionaire's billionaire. Right? And the whole top of the boat is full of barrels. Right? And... He comes in, of course, now his wife's madly in love with him, right? Because he's a billionaire. And his kids and everyone, and, and the mayor and everyone who used to make fun of him, everyone runs onto the boat, barrels of diamonds. He must have a zillion dollars there, right? And they're like, Chaim, you're the man! And they're, they're parading and they're jumping. And she's like, I can't believe it, barrels of money. He goes, yes, it's barrels of pure money. And they, the, the mayor has to see it. He takes the thing, pops open the barrel, three months, you, oh, your stink could kill a hundred people in one shot. You never smell anything like that. And he's thinking, oh my goodness, he's brilliant. He hid all the diamonds under the herring, so everyone's jumping into the herring, pulling out all the herrings, it stinks, they're throwing up. If you can imagine what's going on on this boat, they're opening one barrel at a time, one smells worse than the other, and they're digging, they're figuring diamonds are there, and his wife's like, where did you put the diamonds? And he goes, diamonds? What's diamonds? All those stones that are all over the roads? They're not worth anything. He goes, what are you talking about? And he goes, oh my God. I got so used to the diamonds being stones that I brought home the herring instead of the diamonds. And he faints on the spot. All that work, all those years. And of course, and they all walk and they go, loser, he's always been a loser, he's still a loser, he's always going to be a loser. What an idiot. And they, it's, it's how brings down the story. And they bring him home he's out and they bring him home and they lay him on his bed and his wife takes off his jacket and she's just going through his pockets and there on the bottom of one pocket there's one stone left from all those stones he had the first day that he threw out there's one stone left on the bottom she picks it up and she looks at it and she says oh, Baruch Hashem he brought home one diamond it's enough maybe we'll be able to live a little while on it maybe make an investment we'll see whatever but of course when he wakes up he realizes that he gave up everything, he lost everything for some shmalt herring, he says the Chafetz Chaim Ekev, listen carefully says the Chafetz Chaim, the Neshama before it leaves the other world to come to this world the Neshama says what am I doing on the next world Hashem and Hashem says the mitzvah sits is every second every second, figure out you do the math every second is a mitzvah fill in Davening, Shabbos, all 613 mitzvahs. Diamonds. You're going to come there, there's going to be diamonds. Listen to me, Neshama. There's going to be diamonds wherever you turn. You go to the door, there's a mezuzah. You build a house, there's, you're not allowed to make a, you're not allowed to have a porch, a maka, it has to have a fence. All, all the halachas of a house. You wear clothing, shatness. You go to the bathroom, ashayatza. You cook, all the brachas and halachas of, of cooking. Shabbos, l'amitesh malachas. Right. Billions and billions of diamonds. Shama's like, yeah. Comes to this world. And you're growing up, guys. And you're like, okay, I like that Lamborghini. What do you got? Here villain all my mitzvahs. I'll give you, uh, for that Lamborghini, I'll give you 100 hours of my learning. Yeah, you tell that to the Lamborghini dealer. See what happens. They will lift you up and they will carry you out. Right? right. We'll go to Manhattan to the Waldorf Astoria. Hi, I'm here with my wife. How are you going to pay for tonight? Oh, I did two hours of chesed today. I'll throw you out the door. I'll throw you right out the door. Right? Okay, so what happens? We come to this world, and all the mitzvahs we get used to, everyone tells us those are not worth anything, and we start to throw them away. This mitzvah, that mitzvah, this mitzvah. What does the ad world, the advertising world, tell you what's worth something? Your car, your house, your bank account, your vacation, your iPod... Your internet connection, it's so fast. You blink an eye and you have it already. And they sell you what's important. They tell you, they give you this knowledge and this understanding on television and how to advertise and subli- sublime. And they have to get you without even realizing that Coke is it. What is it? Did anyone ever say Toyota is it? Coke is it. Right? Nike commercial is it. They have a different commercial, whatever. Right? No gain, no pain. That's not Toyota. That's from them. And they sell us all this stuff. That's the way we look and the way we walk and the way we carry ourselves and the kind of cigarette. The kind of cigarette. I remember as a kid, they had that Winston. I think it's Winston. Where They had that cowboy. Is that the wind? Marlboro. Marlboro. Marlboro man. Right? It was like, they sold me. I, I didn't smoke. But if I would smoke, who would I be? Camel? I'm not a camel. <laughs> right? Salem? I don't live in Salem. Marlboro man. Because I am a cowboy. (laughs) That's right. Everywhere you went, there was this cowboy. Cool looking, good looking dude. With the girls. Right? On his horse. Whoa. So they sold me, in my head, that this is worthless. All this stuff is worthless. What's worth? That cigarette that you put in your mouth. Why do you think kids smoke? They sold you. that that makes you a man. You're a man when you got that little toilet paper wrapped around a little brown lettuce. And you light it up. The guy's nothing. He's nobody. I know kids. They're nobodies. They put that cigarette in their mouth. They're ten feet tall because the advertisement shows them. You want to get the girl? Put that little tissue paper, toilet paper, right? If I would try to tell you that logically, we'd sit down and take it apart and look at it and say, okay, what am I putting in my mouth? It's a piece. Of, it's a, it's it's a piece of tissue paper, with some dried lettuce, brown lettuce, right? With a filter to filter out the smoke, which means that the smoke is going to kill me if I don't have a filter, right? to filter out the smoke and I'm inhaling this and I'm paying 7, 8, 9, 10, I don't even know what I'm paying for it. right? And I'm a human being with logic and, and a brain. right? But what happens? They showed you that the Torah and the mitzvahs and all this stuff, that's not worth anything. But when you put that in your mouth, you're the man. And then, if you're an introvert and you can't get along with anybody, and someone asks you, can I get a smoke? And you give him that cigarette and then you light his cigarette with your cigarette and your eyes meet in the dark. Right? It's like, I made a friend. Wow. And the guy's like, thanks, man. You're cool. Nobody said to this kid he's cool his whole life. But all he did was he lit up another guy's cigarette. You're cool. It's called peer pressure. Drugs start from peer pressure. Cigarettes start from peer pressure. And drinking starts from peer pressure. So just like this guy, right? He's going to tell his friends, hey, you know what I did today? I learned two hours. <laughs> uh, I, I, I did mitzvahs. I put on drilling. That's not worth anything here. In America, what's worth something? Money, power. That's what's worth something. So we go through our whole life and we throw away what our Neshama came here for and we're busy making money, making money, selling the filter fish, that fish, this fish, that fish, this business, the plastic business, the foam business, the that business, and that business. I bought another phone and a bigger iPod, and I got the tripod, and I got that part, and this part, and the raspberry, and the blueberry, and the green berry, and that berry, and this berry. And each guy takes out a bigger one. And, you know, I go to eat, and sometimes a Borough Park, and one guy has a blueberry and a blackberry, and this guy's a big one. And this one flips up. Well, it flips up. It goes, you know which one I'm talking about. What is it called? Sidekick. Flips up. Out there, there. He's got a whole TV. I'm the man. Because I got my sidekick with me. Right? I'm the man. This is what they sold us. You're the man because you put filling on this morning, guy. That's why you're the man. Because you wearing sits. That's why you're the man. Because you did keep it aim today. That's why you're the man. But we forget about that. So we come to Shemayim. And the guy has 14 million dollars. He flipped a couple of buildings. He's got 14 million dollars. He's got beautiful car, beautiful house, right? No mortgage. And in Shemayim, they get a message, a telegram. Chaim just died. He's coming up. He's loaded. Huge. Check him out. All my luck my standing up there. And you come up there. Barrels. And they're like, wow, he must have been a big tzaddik. Let's see what he's got. And they open up the barrel. An iPod. A house. An internet. Which in Shemayim is worthless. All the stuff you gathered that you have in your house. Right? All the stuff you gathered your whole life. They're like, ooh. That's what you brought back? That stinks. And all of a sudden, the neshama says, "Oh my God! I went into this world to collect mitzvot, and I got so used to that world, I took all my mitzvot, threw them into the ocean, and I and I and I came to Shemaim with smelly herring. And if you're lucky, when they're going through your pockets, they'll find a mitzvah that you did when you were a kid that you didn't throw away. That'll help you a little bit in the next world." Says so the Chaim, "We get too used to what's around us." and we end up throwing the diamonds in the ocean and collecting the smelly herring. And that's what the Apostle says, akef, the little mitzvahs, the stuff that doesn't look important, the tzitzes, the, da- the stuff that doesn't look big. If you listen to those, if you take care of those and you do those mitzvahs, Kirish Baruch Hu promises you, I will, I will multiply you, I will give you a good parnasah. Just ask, who's the owner of the castle? Ask me the question. Don't just take pictures of your life in the castle. Ask me who's the owner, and I will show you and I will teach you who the owner. My bracha to everyone. Here is that in Hashem Bekoroiv. We should take see the castle. The base hamigdash, the third base hamigdash, and altogether we should be able to ask who built the third base hamigdash. Baruch Hu will tell us. I am the master of the castle. Welcome back.